I want to invite um, those of you who have served in our armed forces as veterans in some capacity, and would you hold your applause for these folks? If you've served our country as a veteran, would you stand for us? Okay, hold on just a moment. I wanted to uh, share something real quickly while you stand, and I wanted us as a congregation to say thank you, but I was driving down the road and I heard something that I thought was so fitting. I had to had to print it off and read it for you this morning. Rick Warren, a pastor out in California, um, Saddleback Church, said some very powerful words. When I heard them, I thought, I've got to share that with our veterans. So these are the words of Rick Warren, but they can certainly be our words for this day. On this Veterans Day, we remember, it was veterans, not reporters, that have ensured our freedom of the press. It was veterans, not poets, that have ensured our freedom of speech. It's veterans, not political organizers, that have ensured our freedom to assemble. It's veterans, not lawyers, that have ensured our freedom to get a fair trial. It's veterans, not politicians, that have ensured our freedom to vote. And it's veterans, not preachers, that have ensured our freedom to worship publicly. So on behalf of a grateful nation, we say thank you. Church, would you say thank you to these guys? Thank you, Thomas. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your service. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and uh, open up your outline. I'm sorry, get your message outline out of your worship guide. We're going to be studying God's Word together this morning. And um, for a few weeks, we are in between series because Christmas is going to start right away, right? And we're right in between series. And it's during this time, normally, that I prayerfully ask God, God, what is a singular word? What is a message that you would want to speak over our body? So, what I want to talk with you about today is something I believe that God has called me to share. And you can, so if you have your outline in front of you, maybe you've got a pen, I'm going to be asking you to underline and circle some things and fill in some blanks. And maybe you've got your Bible there or your electronic device. We're going to study God's Word together. As, as we begin, let's begin with a middle picture, though, a mental picture. Some people have called life a, a race. Matter of fact, in the Bible, Paul even used metaphors for our faith as a race. So if you think about life like a marathon, I want you just to envision in your, your mind a bunch of people lined up to take off for a marathon before. You know, those of us who ever dream of running a marathon, there are some of us in the room who actually have run marathons, right? But here's what happens in a marathon. All these folks line up to take off They've prepared, they've practiced, and, they, and they, when, they, when they leave off at the start, have you ever noticed that they're in a tight bunch? I mean, they're just crowded in there as they leave. But then as the race goes on, distance builds between one to another, right? And then as they start to finally get towards the middle of the race and then towards the latter part of the race, when they finally start crossing the finish line, it's just one at a time as they start coming across. Now, what's interesting about a marathon is there's a lot of people who start well, right? A lot of people start well, 
But in a marathon, isn't it true that what really matters is who finishes? Right? The goal of a marathon isn't to start a marathon. By the way, everybody in the room can start a marathon. Did you know that? Hey, next marathon, just sign up and go start. You can say, hey, I tried to do me a marathon, you know. It's easy to sign up for something. It's easy to start something. It's a lot harder to follow through. And here's what we're going to study this morning. We're going to study the Bible, and we're going to, we're going to study what God has to say about finishing things, about being finishers, and, and how it's, it's the right thing to do to keep commitments, to follow through, to, to keep your promises, and it's not the right thing to do to say you're going to start something and then not really live it out. Finishing is what counts. Now, the Bible actually says that this whole thing about finishing and maybe just starting but not really finishing is really a sign of maturity. If you are a mature in Christ, if you are mature in the faith, then here's what it looks like. When you make a, a promise, you keep a promise. When you make a commitment, no matter if the going gets tough, you follow through with your commitment. It's a sign of maturity. And the Bible points to the fact that those who are immature actually are pretty good at starting a lot of things and not really good at finishing. They got a lot of unfinished things in their life. Look at this opening scripture I want to share with you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, finish what you began to do. Then your willingness, that's you at the start line, then your willingness will be matched by what you accomplish, by what you actually achieve, by what you accomplish. So here's what I want to share with you. The reality is this. This is why we're going to study this this morning from the Bible. Here's the reality. It is very easy to start things, right? It is super easy to start something. It is sometimes very, very challenging and hard to actually follow through and keep it. Now, it's easy to sign up for something. It's a totally different story then to keep your commitments till the very end. So you notice the title of this message. Today I'm going to challenge you to think about some things in your life or maybe just one thing in your life that you started but you really never finished. It's unfinished business in your life. And I want to talk to you about finishing what you start. Now here's what I'm asking God to do during this time. While, while God speaks His Word over us, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to pinpoint something in your life. And here's the cool thing. It's going to be drastically different from somebody in some, 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 some other, somebody else's life, you know? What you might have unfinished might be relational. Another person might be a project. It doesn't matter. What we're going to ask together is, God, what, do you, what have you called me to finish? That I just, I've gotten derailed. I've gotten sidetracked. I've hit the pause button on. I've gotten detoured on. And I know that I know that I need to get back at it. And I know that I need to finish it. Now, to, we're going to begin today with a story from Nehemiah. And I'm not going to put it up on the screens like I normally do, but if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. In Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, there's, a, there's a, a story about Nehemiah coming back to Jerusalem to help build the walls. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to read just a few verses there. And let me real quickly set up the story. If you remember, the people of Israel had been had been taken captive for, for years in a foreign land. They had finally come back to Israel, and the walls of Jerusalem were torn down, and the city was just in, 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 in shambles. And God appoints Nehemiah from a foreign land who is coming with resources that a, that a, that a foreign um, king has given him. He's coming with a military. He, he's coming with um, peace papers. He is coming to rebuild the wall. But when he gets back to Jerusalem, he finds the people kind of crushed in spirit. 
And he challenges them after a few days of surmising what they need to do. He challenges them that God wants them to do something. And they need to do it now. And so the people respond by faith. And they begin to help him rebuild a wall around Jerusalem. But what actually happens is they get halfway done and they give up. They get halfway finished in building the wall and they quit. By the way, have you ever noticed how easy it is to get halfway through something and quit? It's very easy to get to the halfway point and say, why did I start this in the first place, you know? We've all done that before, right? And that's what happened to the people. Now, I'm going to read this scripture super fast, but from Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in, in verse 6. I'm going to read it fast now. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, all the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble that we, we can't build the wall. Also, our enemies even said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. See this story here? I'm gonna, let me pause. Here's the story. God wants the people to rally together, but they start struggling with some, some things that want them to quit. And what I've learned is the very same things that were making those people want to quit are the same things that keep us from wanting to sometimes finish our commitments out. So I, wanna, I want you to get your pen, and I want to talk about four of the reasons that are right there in that passage Four of the key reasons that they were not finishing what God had called them to start. And the first one is this. Write this down. It was fatigue. Fatigue. Right there in the scriptures, it says it. It says, they said, the strength of the laborers is wearing out. You might want to underline that word strength. They were giving out of strength. Or said differently, they were getting exhausted. They were tired. You know what it's like to be tired when you've done a project, you know? Or you're running hard after something? You, you start getting weary. You start getting worn out. It was Vince Lombardi who one time said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. I want you to think about that. He coached a football team, and he said, when we get tired, we get to be cowards. It's fatigue that makes cowards of us all. And it's what happened to those people. They got tired, they got physically exhausted, and they wanted to quit. And that's one of the things that sometimes keeps us from following through and us from finishing. Here's another one, write this one down, frustration. Sometimes we just get frustrated with the project. It says in that scripture, and they said, and there's so much trash and rubble. Maybe you underline the word trash and rubble to be removed. There's so much trash and rubble. You know, if you've ever been a construction, around a construction project, there gets to be rubble, right? There gets to be brick mortar and plaster and all this kind of stuff. And you can probably imagine what it looked like. They were getting stuff everywhere, and it probably looked like they were making more of a mess than when they began. And they began to get frustrated saying there's so much stuff here to be removed, they, 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 started, they started getting frustrated with their own ability to finish it. Frustration can be a major barrier to stop you from doing a good work that God's called you to do. By the way, I've seen this so many times in ministry. People feel like God's called them to do something in ministry, and it's not all roses, you know, it's not all the rose garden. It's going to be difficult hurdles, speed bumps along the way. And then folks kind of say, well, I just thought it was going to be easy if I was doing it in church or for the Lord, right? I just thought, no, 
Guess what? Even if you say you're going to do a good work for God in his kingdom and in his church, there's still going to be rubble somewhere. And you are going to get frustrated. Here's the question. Are you mature enough to move past the rubble? And I guess the better question is, have you been frustrated about something and not finished something you were supposed to, you were supposed to start? What's the rubble in your life? Can you name the rubble in your life that, that made you frustrated? Frustration will cause you to, to quit, okay? Look at this third one. So, so it's fatigue, it's frustration. Here's another one. Failure. Failure. They said, they said it this way. We ourselves are unable. You might want to underline that word, unable. We ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Now, the truth of the matter is, they had done a lot of work in a short amount of time. But when they said we're unable, you know what they were really saying? Is we are unable to finish this in the time we thought we could finish it. Okay, that's what they're really saying it. We thought we'd be done by now. We thought this was going to go really fast because there's a bunch of us to rebuild the wall. And, and I just don't think we can do this. That's where they are. They're starting to look around it and they're starting to, to think to themselves, we cannot accomplish this. And they're, they're starting to experience some mode of thinking, we might actually fail at this. This might not be possible. Just a real quick word. Every one of us is going to fail, right? I mean, every person fails. And if you want a great metaphor for failure, I want you to think about baseball. When, a, when, a, when the greatest of all batters walks up to the plate, if, if he is a phenomenal batter, what does he bat? Like 300, right? I mean, if you batted 300, you'd be phenomenal. That means that three out of every 10 times, you actually hit the ball and got on base. Or let me say that differently. Seven out of 10 times, you know where your tail ended up? Back in the dugout, right? If baseball players were afraid to fail, they'd never play the game because they understand failure a lot better than most of us do. But understand this, failure can cause you to want to quit. You are going to fail, but you got to remember that here, I guess there's the best word. You're only a failure when you actually do quit, right? Here's the fourth one. Write this one down. So it's fatigue, it's frustration. That's a reason. It's failure, but how about this one? This one's huge. Fear. Fear. You see, there were these enemy nations that did not want them to rebuild the wall, right? And so what did they start doing? They started criticizing them at first, going, so you, you, you think you're going to be able to do this? That's a joke, right? They were criticizing them. And then they started making fun of them, casting jokes at them, making them feel like fools. And then finally, when they realized they had a power to do it, they started threatening their lives. The Bible says it this way. That meanwhile, our enemies are planning to swoop down upon us and kill us, thus ending our work. Oh, somebody, did you hear what I just, look, look, look at those last two phrases. They, they seem like they're a little redundant to me. Meanwhile, our enemies are planning to swoop down upon us and kill us, thus ending our work. <laughs> Have you ever thought about those two crazy phrases? I mean, I, look, I read that phrase, and I, I look at, and kill us, thus ending our work. And I think to myself, either there's great humor in that, this person is so obsessed about a job, that, and they're going to kill us, and we won't finish our work, you know? Or this was written by a classic, classic workaholic, you know? I mean, they, they, they're going to kill us, and we will not finish our work, you know? They were serious about it. Here's the deal. Sometimes it's fear that causes us to not finish the very thing, and they were afraid, literally, for their lives. Now, whatever the thing is that... God might reveal to you that you need to get back towards finishing today. Here's probably the understanding. Your life probably is not threatened. When you walk out this door, there's not probably somebody with a sword trying to take your life like those people were. It's probably not the case. But fear can still be paralyzing. Fear. 
Do you know that some people get feared, uh, they, they, get, they get paralyzed because of fear, the fear of success? I mean, they're actually afraid that if they succeed, it will be, the, the bar will be raised for them. They'll think about all the different things that will change for them if they do succeed, and sometimes they underperform because they're afraid of success. And, and, and they'll even stop things short because they're afraid of success. And you also know that there are some people who are afraid of failure, right? So they will get something almost to the very end, but they're afraid of it. They get fear. And, and it's, 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 a, it's a very real fear in their heart. Like these people had a very, very real, very, very, oh, very, very real fear. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When these things happen to you, when they start to paralyze you, when you start to, to, to struggle with these things, Normally, a few things are going to occur. You're going to start throwing a pity party for yourself. You might not even vocalize that to other people. But you're going to start throwing a pity party about why you don't need to finish doing what you're doing. Sometimes you'll start complaining. You'll just start, you know, moaning about this and that. And you'll even make that public to other people, you know. It's your reason. Here are your reasons to not continue the work that you set out to do. And sometimes we'll move beyond complaining and we'll even start giving excuses Oh, it's because of this. It's because of that. I'm not going to do it. It's because of this. And, and by the way, excuses will derail you every time. Or how about this one? It, at the very end, you just give up. See, you can experience, watch this, you can experience fatigue and frustration and failure and fear. But if you choose not to give up, you will still accomplish the thing God called you to do. But when you give up finally because of any one of those things, that's when you really experience true failure only when you quit. Now, those are the reasons why we oftentimes don't finish things. Now, for the rest of this message, what I want to do is I want to talk about the Bible's remedies to them, okay? I believe there's some good works that God's called you and me to do that we've put on the, on the, on the back burner, you know? Whatever that work is, we've put it out there, we've, we've gotten detoured, we've gotten, we, we've, we've gotten held up, and we're not doing it. And what I want to do with you for the next few minutes is I want to dive deeper into what we need to do to really get back on track, to start the thing back that God called us to do. And then I'm going to go, if it's okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to meddle a little bit, and we're going to get real about a couple of other deeper spiritual things, okay? So you got your pen. Let's talk about how to finish what you start and what the Bible has to say about finishing and how you can really get back on track. If you've been distracted, if you've been detoured, if you've been off track, how you can say, okay, today I am going to get back on track. Got this? Number one. Write this one down. Number one is simply this. Stop making excuses. Matter of fact, that's so easy. Why don't you say those three words with me? Ready? Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. The Bible says this. The lazy person is full of excuses. <laughs> if you got your pen, why don't you just circle the word excuse and then do a little arrow over and circle the word lazy, okay? At the heart of excuses, the Bible says is a word, and it's laziness, okay? The lazy person is full of excuses. Bren Franklin, had, he, he, didn't, he didn't say it that way. He said it a little bit different. He said it this way. People that are good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. Don't you find that to be pretty true? People that are good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. As a little way of bringing humor to this point, number one, I thought I'd print off uh, some, ex some excuses that were on the internet that people gave to their insurance companies after they had crashed their car, okay? Because sometimes people give some pretty good excuses to the insurance company. Listen to one, some of these. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and I collided with a tree I don't have. 
what? How about this one? The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times. No, I had to swerve a number of limes to hit him. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. Oh, that one was great. In my attempt to kill a fly, I drove up a telephone pole. <laughs> Just a few more. I was on my way to the doctor's with rear-end trouble when my, <laughs> when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. I had been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. <laughs> my tele uh, the telephone pole is approaching fast. I attempted to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. <laughs> and then one last one. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. <laughs> there are some crazy excuses people give to insurance companies. And, and by the way, I share those because they're funny. They're funny excuses that people give. But if you and I were to really track back to some of our excuses for why we sometimes don't finish things, I think we'd have to admit they're about as lame about as nonsensical as some of those excuses. And so what does it really look like to say, God, I am not going to make excuses anymore. I am going to, I'm going to put that laziness aside. I'm going to put all those other things that I think have held me back aside, and I am going to get on with the thing you've called me to get on with. Okay, so let me talk about what that would look like. I wonder if some of you guys uh, in this crowd today started a, a journey. Maybe you were, I don't know what that journey might look for you, but maybe you, you, you gave up or you gave in or you got tired and you didn't finish the journey. Maybe you were working on a, maybe you were going to go see a counselor and you were working on one issue you're having in, in your life or in, in your own mind, the way you think your thoughts or, or the way you have a relationship. Maybe you were work, journeying with a counselor and then all of a sudden you just, you just gave up. And you didn't really finish it. And, and what you really need to do is you need to go back and tend to the garden of your soul with somebody else who can walk you down a, a deeper road towards hell. Or maybe some of us, we were working on our marriage. And we had the best of intentions when 2016 started that this was going to be the best year of our marriage. We were going to get our marriage stronger and better. And you started something. And then somewhere along the way, you either got distracted or you quit or you gave up or you got tired or whatever. And then you just kind of fell into old patterns, and you, and you really have not finished what you said you were going to do. I could keep on naming journeys that we have that sometimes, they're, they're not the easiest journeys to go on, but that because we get tired or fatigued, we start making excuses, we start getting distracted and letting other things be important to us, and somewhere along the way, we step off the marathon trail, and we give up too soon. See, every one of us in this room knows what it's like to get in a rut of thinking to yourself, well, it's because of that. It's because of that. I'm, I'm just not going to do it today. And, and, and you can make a lot of excuses everywhere. The Bible says the lazy person, the lazy person is full of excuses. Stop making excuses. Starts there. Number two, write this one down. Start immediately. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Start immediately. 
What do you mean by start immediately? Once you realize, if God pinpoints a place in your life today that you should, have, you should be running a good race on, but yet you've slowed down or you've given up, if God would show you that and you would realize that, and all of a sudden you say, wow, why have I been deterred or what's been going on? Here's the next big thing you have to do. You have to start now. You've got to get back. You can't say to yourself, well, I'm going to do that next week, or I'm going to do that next month. Or, yes, I'm going to start that with the brand new year in January. You can't do that. You've got to start immediately. You've got to get on it. Look at this scripture. It says in Romans 12, 8, if your gift is to encourage others, do it. Might want to underline that. Do it. If you have money, share it. Might want to underline that. Share it generously. If God's given you leadership ability, take the responsibility. Take the responsibility. Underline that. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it. Underline that again. Do it gladly. You know what the writer, Paul, is saying to the Roman people? He's saying, listen, God gave you gifts. He gave you, he put a calling on your life to do things. And what he's saying over and over and over again is, get on with it. Get going with it. Get moving. Do it now. Get on with your life. If he's given you these gifts, get after it. That's what Paul is saying to the Romans. He's saying, don't put it off. Do it, give it, share it, go after it now. Now, there are two traps when it comes to this starting immediately thing that, that, that are postponement traps, okay? Where people say, well, I'm trying to start immediately, but there's this one thing holding me back, all right? And I want to talk about those two traps really quickly. The first one is this one. Write this one down. It's perfectionism, okay? Perfectionism. Write that down. Perfectionism. I want you to read this scripture with me about perfectionism, by the way. And, and not all of us in the room are perfectionists, but those who are know who we are, right? We know who the perfectionists in the room are. Read this scripture with me about perfectionism. The Bible says it this way. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. So the idea here is that some of us, we want to start immediately, but we're waiting for things to kind of, we've got high standards, you see. We want to, we want to function at a certain level. We want to be just perfect. We want, to, we want to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. We want to get it all right before we really start, because then I know I'm going to be a great success. And what you're doing, listen, what you're doing is you're being paralyzed. As a matter of fact, you got your pen, I want you to write down three words. Might be some of the most important words you put on this whole paper. Three words right next to that word, uh, that word perfectionism. Just write this one down. Perfectionism paralyzes potential. Perfectionism paralyzes. It keeps you stuck. You've got all the potential in the world, but it gets you stuck because you've got to have things perfect, right? The Bible says if you're waiting for perfect conditions, nothing's going to ever happen because never is anything really, really all perfect, right? So to those of you who are perfectionists out there, and by the way, I struggle with a good bit of this myself, right? I'm going to put myself in that group. Let me just give you a word and let me give myself a word, okay? 92% is still an A. Can I, I heard an amen. 92, 93, and 94% is still an A. What do you mean by that, Stephen? I remember, <laughs> I'm about to tell on myself, and I wish one of my children were in the room. But anyway, I remember being in college one time, and I went, I, in the opening day of class, the professor gave out the syllabus, and I heard all that was going to be required of me to get an A. And I thought to myself, I need to either drop this class, I will not be able to do all of this. I thought to myself, my goodness. So I walked up to the professor after the class, when everybody had left, and I wouldn't embarrass myself, and I said, listen. I mean, I'm holding this syllabus, and this is a lot required of this class. What do I have to do to really get an A in this class? And he said this, 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 and that. 
And I said, well, what do I have to do if, like, to get a 90 or an 88, you know? What do I have to do? He said, well, then you, you just, you know, he had poured out all this reading that I had to do. And you know what he did? He pointed to the fact that if I didn't quite do all the reading, but I came to class, I did my notes, I did these certain things, I could still probably get a, a low A, a 91, 94. You know what I did? I followed his advice. I still got a, like a 92, 93 in the class. I still got an A, right? But I didn't do all those readings that those other suckers did. I'm just kidding. But, uh, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to get, those of you who are struggling with perfectionism. There are a lot of entities in this life that are vying for 100% of your energy. By the way, everybody wants 100% of your energy. But did you know that there are some things that do not deserve 100% of your energy? They only deserve 80% of your energy or 92% of your energy. They don't deserve it all. By the way, the Kiwanis Club wants 100% of your energy. The Y Club wants 100% of your energy. Your school wants 100% of your energy. There's a lot of things that want 100% of your energy. So for those of you who are perfectionists, hear the, hear the good news. 92% is still an A, okay? Perfectionism paralyzes potential. So what I want you to understand is you need to be aware that perfectionism is a trap. It's, an ex- it's one more excuse to stop you from starting immediately. Here's another one. Write this one down. Procrastination. Procrastination is another trap that will keep you. It'll, it'll keep you pushing off instead of starting right now. And by the way, in this church, I know you well enough to know that we have some professional procrastinators in this room, all right? So procrastination, all right? Read what the Bible says. Never boast about tomorrow... You do not know what will happen between now and then. You know what that scripture is really saying? It boils all down to this, that none of us know what what tomorrow holds, holds. None of us know if we have a week to live or a month to live. None of us know, but we live life like we do. And the Bible says none of us know when your number is going to be called. None of us know when your time is over. So you got to get on with the business of finishing. you got to be busy with the life God's called you to live. None of us know. And here's another thing. Um, A lot of people get stuck in the trap of one of these days. One of these days, life's going to settle down. And one of these days, I'm going to get back to that thing. And one of these days, I'm going to do it the way I really want to do it. Can I just tell you, here's a little secret for you in church today. Life never settles down, right? It will always stay busy. So you can keep procrastinating and pushing that thing off and, and, and living in one of these days fairyland, right? But the truth of the matter is, you're not being realistic and you're just being, you're pushing things down the line. And there are so many things that we do this with. By the way, I read a news story about this this group of people who were, I don't know if you read about this, they were in Arizona, they were crossing through a desert area and a flash flood happened because a dam broke, swept across the desert and they died, drowned in the desert. And the reason this caught my eye is I thought to myself, wow. I mean, in the desert, the last be the last place you think you're going to drown, right? And what's interesting about these people is I wonder how many of them were eating healthy, you know, and thinking, I'm going to do do and exercising and doing all these things to live as long as they could, but they didn't know the day that their number would be called, right? And that's the way we live life sometimes, guys. We live like we got forever, and this is the life of a procrastinator. Just keep pushing it off. Just keep pushing it off. Hard reality check. You might want to write this down somewhere because you know it's true. Hard reality check. The longer we push things off, 
the harder they get. That's true, right? You push it off a little bit here, not that hard to start it again if you start it right away. But if you push it off and you push it off and you push it off and you push it off, all this stuff and you have more obstacles in your way to ever get it going again, the, the longer you wait, the harder it is to ever start again. So here are three life-changing words that I just want you to write right next to that procrastination. Just like I asked you to write right next to perfectionism, perfection, perfectionism paraly- paralyzes uh, potential, I want you to write right next to procrastination. Three life-changing words. Do it now. Do it now. Now, I told you I was going to meddle a little bit, didn't I? <laughs> I want to read a scripture for you that I didn't put in your outline because I didn't get it when I was printing your outline. I ran across it a little bit later time. James 4.17 says this. When a person knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's what? Sin. You know, for somebody who is a, uh, maybe a seeker or a skeptic or just learning about this Christianity thing, when you read that, it actually says that, that there's a way to sin even when you, when you know that something is a good and right thing to do, but you don't do that thing. The Bible calls that sin. In theological, religious language, we call that sins of omission and sins of commission. Commission is when you do something, it's the wrong thing to do, and you sin. Omission is when you know there's a good thing to do and you don't do it, it's still a sin if you don't do it. When I was a young Christian, I thought to myself that, see, Christianity was all about, sin was all about doing the wrong stuff. That's what I thought, you know? So if I could stop myself from doing the wrong stuff, I wouldn't sin anymore, and I'd be the greatest Christian of all. Which, by definition, means that all dead people are the greatest Christians ever, right? Because the dead people can't do anything wrong anymore, right? But then I realized what this sin of omission was. See, dead people can't do the good things, and so they're not the greatest of all Christians. The greatest of all Christians are the people who are staying away from that which is wrong and evil and corrupt and not sinning that way, but then also seeing a good thing and doing that good thing because they understand what that scripture says. When a person knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. Well, Stephen, I never thought about this thing that I'm thinking about right now that I I started but hadn't really gotten to. I've been putting it off. I've been... I've been procrastinating, or I've been waiting, I've been giving excuses. I never really thought about, are you sure it's kind of like a sin? I'll let you read the scripture. Now, here's a little little clue for you. I want to give you a little secret to success, okay? If you're struggling with starting immediately, and that's what we're talking about right now, right? Do it now, right? If If you're struggling with getting something going and doing it, one of the things that I've learned is that telling somebody else you're going to do it will help you do it. Have you ever figured that out before? Uh, you can call that a public commitment, right? If you step out and say, by the way, I, I have done that so many times with this church. I have, and, and not flippantly. I mean, I have prayed. I felt like God called me to do something. I thought it was so hard. And I thought the rest of you guys were going to look at me like I had five eyeballs, you know? And I remember I stepped out here and said, I think God is calling us to do X, Y, or Z. And I called it like it was going to be done. And then we were held to do it at a leadership place and as a church place before. I've done that with buildings. We've done that with, with projects we thought, thought God was calling us to fall. We've done that with so many things. My goodness, Gretchen, you remember a few years ago, we did that with Operation Christmas Child. We said, we believe there's, God's called us to do this many boxes, and now we're doing like 150 more boxes than that. Isn't that incredible? A public commitment, put yourself out there before. And so, you know, when it comes to starting back immediately, 
Here's a little trick for you. Go public, all right? By the way, that's one of the reasons Jesus told people to be baptized. I was going to get down to the baptismal pool, but I don't think you can see me. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons Jesus called people to be baptized. I mean, have you ever thought about it before? Why, Jesus, would you tell people that, okay, when you become one of my followers, one of the first things you should do is just go be dunked in water? What is that about? I mean, is that, what, what sense does that make? You realize what Jesus is saying, right? Jesus is saying, you go public. What he's, let, me, let me get to the heart of what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is, listen, it's easy to say you follow me. It's easy to start something. It's a lot harder to finish something. What I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to go public. I want to ask you to go all in. I want to ask you to, to be baptized and say, I'm fully in. And when you do that, you watch what God will do in and through you. And so, by the way, just real quickly, if there's some of you who have who've been putting off baptism, and, and by the way, that happens. Some folks put off baptism for this reason or that reason. Listen, if, if you're a Christ follower and you've been putting off baptism, <laughs> I guess maybe you've missed a point somewhere along the way. God's not trying to give you cancer. God's trying to do something really good for you, okay? And what he wants you to do is he wants you to give him your life and then go public with your giving him your life, right? That's what baptism is. And, and if you want to be baptized, let us know. Just real quickly, one, note, one more note on baptism. We clear the calendar for baptism. If you want to be baptized, we want you to have that moment of public confession because that is a huge deal. It's, it's how you can say, hey, my faith, I'm making sure I'm living it day in and day out. So what are we talking about here? How do you get back on track? The first one is stop making excuses, right? Second one is start immediately. Write this one down. Number three. Number three, focus on the gain, not on the pain. Focus on the gain, not on the pain. So here's the understanding. The worthwhile things in this life, the things that are the most worthwhile very rarely are they the easy things, right? There normally will be some struggle. There'll be a, there'll be a, a journey. There's going to be some pain involved. By the way, I don't have it in your outline this morning. If you have your Bible, you're invited to turn there with me. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 11. I've read this scripture countless times. I was reading it this week, and something jumped off the page at me, and it had to do with this, right, this point right here, this uh, you know, focus on the gain, not the pain. It says, and this, I'm talking about Moses' life. Remember Moses? You know, the cat daddy of Israel who went and saved the people out of, out, out of Egypt, right? Moses, listen to what the, the writer of Hebrews says about Moses. But notice, listen to what he's saying about Moses focusing way beyond his life. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then this is the big one. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead. You might want to underline that. That's great. He was looking ahead to his reward. Well, I'll just leave that one scripture there. Can I tell you what, the reason that jumped off the page at me? I, I don't think I had ever really thought about Moses looking towards the kingdom of Christ like, quite like that scripture says. It's the picture of Moses thinking to himself, Hey, I'm the, I, I, I've been the son of Pharaoh. And for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 
50, 60 years, I can live life in the richest places. Life can be very sweet for me. I can have all the stuff, all the toys. I can have people at my beck and call. For the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I can have life easy. Or I can give that up for a greater thing. (laughs) And see, that's what he did. Moses, he focused on the greater work that God had called him towards. He focused on something that was eternally driven. And you know his story, right? The guy lived out in the middle of the desert with people instead of living in the palace of Pharaoh. He, because he was looking ahead to his reward. So when it comes to you going back and getting started this thing, you've got to focus on the gain, not the pain. Now let's be very honest. Our culture is filled with encouragements towards you Encouraging you to think short term. Only think about right now. Don't think about the long term. One more scripture real quickly that's not in your outline. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.4, the living version, the living Bible version, it says it this way. A fool thinks only about having a good time. The Bible says if you're living with a short term mindset and you're doing the easy thing, the short term thing, the, the quick thing, the Bible says, and it's uncomfortable, that that is the fool. That's foolish. It's the wise person who can see off into the distance, who can keep going and focus on the gain, not the pain. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, don't get tired of doing what's good. Don't get discouraged and give up. For you will, here's the promise, right? Doesn't say you may. For you will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. That's the picture. If you keep going and you focus on the gain, not the pain. I ran across a story this week I wanted to read to you, and this is of a, of a lady by the name of Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick uh, was a lady who, who was able to swim the English, first lady ever, ever able to swim the English Channel backwards and forwards, and, um, and she attempted another swim, and I want to tell you this, this story about her. Um, it was a fog-shrouded morning in July 4th of 1952 when a young woman named Florence Chadwick waded into the waters off Catalina Island. She intended to swim the channel from Catalina over to the California coast. Long-distance swimming was not new to her. She had been the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. But the water was numbingly cold that day. The fog was so thick she could hardly see the boat in her party. Several times, sharks had to be driven away with rifle fire. She swam more than 15 hours before she asked to be taken out of the water. Her trainer begged and encouraged her to swim on since they were so close to land. But when Florence looked, all she could see was the fog. So she quit only a half a mile from the coast. Later, she said this to the press. I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I could have made it. You see, it wasn't the fog or the cold water, or the fear of exhaustion that caused Florence Chadwick to fail that day. It was her limited sight. It was her inability to see the the finish line, to focus on the gain, not on the pain. And by the way, many times we fail to finish the things that we start because of peer pressure, or fatigue, or, 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 or fear. But did you know sometimes it's just because we lack vision? 
we can't quite see the end game anymore and we need God to give us our, our vision back. We maybe lost what the reward that God's going to give us in heaven if we keep moving forward towards Him. There is another life coming for us if I just keep on moving on. And by the way, this is just a training school, right? So we got to live and live, live, live hard for the things He's called us to live towards and not lose sight of the goal, not quit too soon. So let me finish Florence Chadwick's story. Two months later, Florence Chadwick, on a clear day, swam from Catalina to the shore in record time. Why? Because she could see the goal. Read this with me, Proverbs 24, 12. God is watching you, and he will know. In my outline, I've underlined those last three words. He will know. He will reward each person for what he's done. You know what that Bible, you know what that Bible scripture promises me? It promises me a couple of things. That everything I do for God, God sees. Stephen, even a, a cup of cold water that you give to a child, the Bible says it that way. God is watching you, and he will know. So the promise is that everything that you do for God, he sees and he knows. And how about this one? Nothing goes, ever goes unnoticed. You know, for you, you might have quit because nobody noticed. Have you ever thought about that before? Nobody even noticed the ministry I was doing. Nobody even noticed how I was trying to do better on this or that. Nobody even noticed that I lost 20 pounds. Nobody even, even noticed this, 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 and that. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's, did you read that scripture? Who, who matters? Why not try living for an audience of one? Because when you live for an audience of one, the Bible says he notices everything and no good thing you do will ever he not see. We're talking about how to get back on track, right? How to finish the things. I got to go a little bit faster, all right? So what have we said? We said, stop making excuses. We said, start back immediately. Don't put it off. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Start back immediately. Focus on the gain, not on the pain. And then finally this, depend on God to help. Fill that in there. Depend on God to help. I like to think of it this way. God will not call you to do something and not empower you or give you the strength to be able to follow it through. He's not that kind of God. So, so read this with me. It says this, do it with all the strength and the energy that God supplies and then God will be given glory. Here's the idea. Do it with all that you've got and ask God's strength to show up and you will be able to accomplish the good work God's called you to do. Now let me go deeper here for a minute. There are some of you here who are, are seekers and you're kind of kicking the tires of this thing called Christianity. You're, you're listening about the claims of Jesus. You're, you're wondering, you, you've not quite crossed that line of faith yet. And I want to speak to a couple of, of thoughts that might be there in your heart because this is a great Sunday to talk about why are you waiting around on some things, okay? So one of the things I've learned is that for some seekers and skeptics who are, who are thinking about crossing the line of faith, but they can't, they've, they've kind of walked over the edge of it and they're looking over it, but they're kind of waiting. One of the things I've noticed about them is they have a fear inside. And here's the fear. I'll name it. Here's the fear. If I cross that line... <laughs> I'm saying I'm all in, and I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that it, if I cross that line, I really, I'm, 
I'm a person of my word. I do what I'm going to say. And if I cross that line, I'm going to have to really be and stay and live out the Christian life. I'm, I cannot fail. I'm going to have to succeed. You know, I was in a meeting one time, and Mark Rick, the former coach of the Georgia Bulldogs and coach of the Miami Dolphins, did you know that this is what he said his fear was? He said his fear was he, he saw all these wonderful Christians. He was already thinking a lot about Christ, but he was afraid to cross the step of the line of faith because when he crossed, he felt like that he had to be all up and he could never fail and he, he, would, he would never be able to, to let go and, and may, he may just let go of God. And here's what I want to tell you. If that's your fear as a seeker or skeptic, what you've, what, you've got is, what you've got is a fear, listen, a fear that is an illegitimate fear. A fear that is, doesn't make any sense. Because here's what you need to know. The Bible clearly says that when you cross that line, listen to this, when you cross that line, it's not your ability to keep your faith. It's not your ability to walk every day in righteousness and never fall down that's going to make you a Christ follower. It is God's power at work within you that keeps you. Paul said it this way, I am persuaded that nothing can keep me from living the life in Christ because Christ keeps me. A little metaphor real quickly. I didn't plan on doing this, but since he's here, can, can I hold him for a minute? I forgot the name. I knew that. I don't know. Hey, Cruz! What's happening, man? Look at all these people. You see Cruz here? This is not the greatest of metaphors because Cruz growing up. He's getting to be a bigger boy, all right? But here's what I I, I want you to... Cruz, can you hold up your hand like that to them? Hold up the hand right there. See that hand? See that hand? Can you hold it right there? Hold it right there. Then you see that hand? See these two hands? Now, one of them is small. It's growing. One day it's going to be a big hand. But right now it's just a small hand. And one of them's a big hand. One of them's a little boy's hand. One of them's a man's hand. If I held on to that little boy's hand, do you think I could hold on to his hand? You think you could get his hand out of my hand? Ain't no way in the world. And see, what I want to tell you if you're a seeker, skeptic, and you've been waiting. I love you, buddy. Thank you. What I want to tell you if you've been waiting, and you've been waiting because you're afraid that, man, if you grab a hold of God's hand, one day I might fail, I might struggle, I might doubt, I might fall away, and... And then I'll just be a, I'll be a sham, I'll be a failure. What I want to tell you is you've missed the whole point. When you reach out your listen to this because it's true. When you reach out your hand to God and God takes your hand, He holds you. He will hold you. And that is called security in Christ. It's called security in Christ. So you don't need to keep waiting. You can cross that line of faith and say, here I am, a child. I'm not weak. I'm not even strong enough to hold up my own self. I reach out for your hand, God. Hold me tight. And God promises us over and over. Listen, I, I've walked it. I've talked it. I've tried to get him to let go of my hand a thousand times. He is so much bigger and so much stronger than me. He holds me because I've given, him, I've given myself to him. So, so what are we talking about here? That fourth point. We're talking about depending upon God's strength to show up. Look at that scripture one more time. It says, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies, and then God will be given glory. You got your pen. Circle that word glory. Glory. So if I do this thing with everything I've got and God's power shows up, that's when God is glorified. Here's a question for you. How do you bring God glory? How can I bring God the greatest glory with my life? And here's the answer to that question. The answer to bringing God great glory is be a finisher. Complete the tasks that God's given to you. 
I mean, that's the honest truth. Jesus said it this way. I've got it right there in your outline. Jesus said it this way. I have brought you glory on this earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus brought glory to the Father because he completed the work that God gave him to do. Paul said it in much the same way. Paul said, I only want to complete my mission and finish the work the Lord Jesus gave me to do. He wanted to bring God glory through the good work that he finished. And so, real quick, a couple of questions. If your life was over today, that's kind of woo, scary, right? But if your life was over today, here's the question. Would you be able to stand in front of Jesus and say, like, like, like Jesus said to his father, I finished the good work that you called me to do. I finished it. Or would you have to stand in front of God and say, there were some things that I didn't quite get finished and I need to go get them. I, I wish I could have finished them, God. And see, this is, the, this is the very reason I'm preaching about this, guys, today, because a lot of us have unfinished business, right? And can I just tell you real quickly, an unfinished symphony, an unfinished poem, an unfinished novel is a sad thing. But if it can be finished, it can be a beautiful thing. So here are the questions, and I left them right there in your outline. What have you put off? What is unfinished? What do you need to finish? And then the second thing is, what is my next step? First of all, what's unfinished? I mean, some of you would say you've got unfinished business with, with a relationship. I mean, you've got unforgiveness with somebody. You haven't been talking to somebody in two years or two months or whatever. And you know that that relationship's not right. And you need to get back at it. And that relationship is something that you've been putting off. And, and you need to go back at it and finish it. It's relational for you. For some of us, we have some, some, some unfinished business with God. We need to deal with some God things in our life. What are the unfinished things in your life that God will be calling you to get after? And, and here's, a, here's a great question. What is step number one for you to be able to start immediately? See, this is what I believe. I believe we, have a, we, we serve a revealing God. He doesn't play games. And if you ask him a couple of questions, you say, God, what in my life have you called me to do that I've not, I've not got finished? He'll, he'll reveal it to you. And if you say, God, what's the first step? He'll show it to you. He is a revealing God. He will lead you towards accomplishing the things he wants you to accomplish. So as I close out, just four real quick suggestions. First one. To those seekers and skeptics, those people who've been thinking about crossing the line of faith, I would ask you a simple question. What are you waiting on? I mean, what are you waiting on? Jeremiah 8.20 says, says this. I think I've got it on the screen. Do we have it, Tim? Forgot to give it to you earlier. It says the summer is here. Jeremiah 8.20. The summer is here, the harvest is in, and yet we are not saved. Listen, you can talk about becoming a Christ follower for a long, long, long time. But I just want to remind you today, you're sitting in church. I want to remind you of what we read earlier. None of us has promised tomorrow. Don't wait any longer. <laughs> did, you know, did you know that every day that you, you wait, you're, you waste? You're wasting days. Come to faith in Christ today and cross that line. Reach out your hand and the God of the universe will hold you. A second suggestion I would give is, is to those of us that I spoke to earlier that have never been baptized. What are you waiting on? I mean, what are you waiting on? 
I mean, I know that you don't want, a day, don't want one day to show up to Jesus and Jesus say, were you baptized? And you look at him and say, but I, I, I didn't want to get my hair wet. You know, I know that's not what, I know you don't want to give a lame excuse like those insurance people, right? Don't put off baptism. Go public. Go public with your faith. Say, I'm all in. I'm all in. And then walk towards that finished life that God's calling you. He, he's going he's to do so many good works in you. Don't waste another day. Another, another, uh, another suggestion. Just two more. What about those of you who've never finished New Connections or never did New Connections? Or maybe you went to one class and, and, and that, that class that is so formative in our spiritual growth and our connection with our church. If you haven't done that, what are you waiting on? Sign up. Put everything else off and do it at the next New Connections class. Or how about this one? Are some of you here today and you've been thinking, you know, I want to go deeper in relationship with other Christians. I want to join a small group. I've just not done it yet. What are you waiting on? Or maybe some of you, you know what? God's given you a teaching gift and you need to be leading a small group. And do you know we don't have enough small groups? We need folks to raise up their hand and say, hey, I'll lead a small group. I'd love to lead a small group in my neighborhood. Hey, raise the flag and let us know. Don't wait anymore. Let us know. Final thought, scripture right there in front of you. 2 Corinthians 8, 10, and 11. Paul wrote these words to the Corinthian church. He was trying to get them to, to get back going on a commitment that they'd made. And listen to what he said. He said, having started the ball rolling so enthusiastically, you should carry this project through to completion, just as gladly giving whatever you can out of whatever you have. Let your enthusiasm at the start be equaled by realistic action now. You got your pen underlined those three words, those last three words. I like those last three words. What would it look like for you to this week address that thing that you've put off with realistic action now? Would you pray with me? Father, the truth of the matter is when we hear a, a word from you like this, it's normally really clear what you want us to do. But the question is, will we do it? We have some unfinished business and we need to get back to the things that you've called us to do. So, Father, I pray that you would be, help, help us to be a people of no excuses. Help us to be a people who start. We start today. And we run hard after the things you've called us to do with an eye pointed towards the gain, not the pain. Trusting that you're going to give us the strength to do these things. And may all that we do in your name and to your glory be done for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.